What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Flag to Flag on Fox Sports 640. I'm Jeremy Kaufman. Suits from our sister station on the KVJ Show 97.9 WRMF. And, man, we got some good stuff to talk about after a weekend in Darlington. Uh, a calmer cup race, but some crazy races between the truck and Xfinity Series. But, of course, we start with the number one division of NASCAR, the NASCAR Cup Series, and yet another dominating win from Martin Truex Jr. You know, it just seems like when Martin Truex Jr. has the car to win a race, nobody can put together the performance that they can. When they have the car that can destroy the whole field, you can count on them doing that. Ever since that Coca-Cola 600 a couple of years ago, where they led something like 390 of 400 laps, we've seen these performances out of Martin Truex Jr., and you gotta say, last weekend was not an exception. He led 248 of the 293 laps out there at Darlington, and on top of that, he won both stages, which this is the first time that a stage winner has won a race at Darlington since the inception of stage racing. Nobody has been able to get it done after winning a stage. Martin Truex Jr. He wins both of them, goes on to win the race and turns a dominating performance into a win. And he was dominant last year in the Southern 500. Of course, they had that incident with Chase Elliott. There was definitely uh, some opinions between those two drivers. And Martin Truex Jr. did not walk away with a win there, but he's got the win uh, this weekend at Darlington. It's his third of the season, and uh, MTJ has been pretty dominant so far this year. The only multi-time winner. Everybody else has just one win or does not have a win yet. Martin Truex Jr., he is leading the pack at the top of the playoff grid. And you know what else just continues to blow me away by Martin Truex Jr.? And uh, I finally got a, a, a concrete answer on this stat this past weekend because Martin Truex Jr. has been around NASCAR since the 2006-2007 Cup season, right around there. Got that first win at Dover, uh, the race we're going to actually this weekend in 2007, and did not win a lot. It was not until Sonoma in 2013 that he got his second career win. Now, in the last few years, Martin Truex Jr.'s career has exploded. In fact, since he's had JGR chassis between front row and now racing for JGR, 27 wins. He just had his 30th career win. Those are Hall of Fame numbers, a championship driver with 30 wins, and you know he's not done. He's probably going to win more times this season. That's a pretty safe bet. Martin Truex Jr. has really turned his career around more so than anybody I have ever seen. Talk about a night and day difference. He is the top of the series right now, dominating uh, for the last few years, has had the most wins, him and Kyle Busch right up there, bouncing back and forth for the most wins in the last few years. I, I continue to be blown away by Martin Truex Jr., and in dominating fashion, he got the win. And that brings up, of course, the debate uh, whether or not Darlington was a good race. Uh, I was really curious to see Jeff Gluck's Twitter poll. If you don't follow him every single week, he does a Twitter poll about whether or not you liked the race as a fan. And I I'm always fascinated by these numbers because it actually, to me, is a very good uh, barometer of how people are responding to the races in the sport. I mean, it gets like 20,000 votes per race on uh, this poll. So it's a sizable sample size. Um, and Darlington was the package that a lot of people talk about saying, we want the Darlington 
low downforce, high horsepower package. We want this package that we have um, seen in the past, that this high downforce, low horsepower package that people... um, It's interesting because you got some people who absolutely despise it, and I don't know if it's a vocal minority or not, but a lot of people don't like the fact that it's difficult to pass the leader, even though there is a lot of passing in the field. Also, the issue is these cars are easier to handle. You can be full throttle a lot of times when you're running that package. Well, at Darlington, we saw an interesting comparison because last year we had the 550 at Darlington. Now we have the 750 low downforce uh, package, And we got to see really what those two races look like at the same racetrack in comparable cars with the same generation of car back to back. And it's interesting because a lot of people who really wanted this package to be run want this to be the norm for NASCAR. It puts it more in the driver's hands. They're more challenging to drive. They liked the race. But what does your casual fan think? We had a lot of green flag running. We had large gaps between cars uh, at the end of the race. We uh, didn't have a ton of cars left on lead lap. So the, the question you really end up with, okay, did people really like this race? Now, as a race fan, I love Darlington. And I like that this is a challenging racetrack. It's not supposed to be easy. To me, cautions and margin of victory do not make a good race. There are so many different elements that can happen. You have tire wear, for instance, in this race that was so important to try and maintain that. And you saw guys pitting before their fuel run was even up because they needed to get tires. That was what was so crucial. And I think that's great for the sport. Now, here's what's interesting to me. And uh, back to that Jeff Gluck poll, these are the numbers. He said um, 72.4% of people said, yes, this was a good race. That ranks six out of eight races that he's polled. Second race last year was the highest, ironically, with the 550 with Chase Elliott giving the finger. uh, Excuse me. This is um, not the Martin Truex Jr. Southern 500. I I forget we had three races here. It was the Wednesday night race where uh, Elliott got wrecked late in the race and then never restarted. And I believe Denny Hamlin got the checkered flag there. 93% like that. The 2018 Southern 500 was the lowest, just less than a full percent lower than this. So regardless of what you're saying here, the votes on his poll showed this as six of eight and just a little bit over the bottom lowest rated race since he started doing these a couple of years ago. So people wonder why NASCAR keeps jumping in and deciding to run these races and and add stage cautions and to have the cars out there with a ton of downforce so that they can't really pull away, but at the same time, they're not as hard to drive. Well, it's because people vote that they prefer that kind of racing. That's why this happens. Now, as, as a diehard race fan, racing is supposed to be what we saw this past weekend. It's not supposed to be about how many cautions come out. It's not supposed to be about packages that keep the cars very close together. It's supposed to be who can win with the best equipment, who can go out there and run the best race. And honestly, I didn't think this was a bad race. We started out with uh, some short runs. Eric Amarola, I mean, you want to talk about somebody who can't catch a break. They finally looked like they were getting their stride and wrecked out very early in the race uh, before lap 10 in a huge crash. That put them well behind the eight ball again. They're in a terrible point spot. Uh, Cole Custer, his uh, teammate, had a very similar issue early in the race. So we started out with a couple of big accidents. But then this race really got that mid-race calm to it where you were trying to protect your stuff. The final stage of the race ran completely caution-free, over 100 laps. 
Again, though, we had, to me, an interesting cat-and-mouse-style battle to the finish between Kyle Larson and Martin Truex Jr. It looked as though Kyle Larson may have had something for him. He got within a close distance for him. He made some daring moves, that middle-of-three-wide pass that Kyle Larson made is exactly why he's so great for NASCAR. How he did not wreck making that move is the first thing that was unbelievable, but the fact that he was willing to put his car in there to get the win, to try and give himself a chance, because he knew if he got stuck behind them, that was going to be it. That's the kind of racing we love to see, and he did that with a car that was sliding around because you had the lower downforce. That was excellent. That was great. The way these guys were navigating lap traffic and the drama with that was very exciting, and Larson, while he was not able to pass Martin Truex Jr., and at the end of the race, he did fall off, whether he burnt up his stuff or realized, hey, the pace I'm running to catch him, which we've seen with Kyle Larson before, is going to make me hit the wall, and then I'm going to end up with a much worse finish. Maybe for Kyle's perspective, I'm not going to get him at this rate. Let me protect my second place finish, which that's a smart move. You have to do that in racing sometimes. Second is better than crashing. So to me, I thought this was a well-rounded good race. It wasn't an instant classic that I'm going to remember for years and talk about this race in 2021, the Goodyear 400, but I still thought we had a very competitive show. We had sort of a classic finish where you had two guys trying to find the best line to outrun each other, heads up racing, no cautions, no drama to stick in the middle of it. It was just two guys trying to outrace each other. Martin Truex Jr., he did a better job. He had a better car. He got himself the win, and that's all she wrote. Nothing wrong with that. We don't need every race to be five wide every uh, darn lap. I, I don't understand what it is about this race people are hating on so much. But please tell me, if you did not like this race, is it simply because they pull away? Is this what the fans are looking for? You know, next year we have that next-gen car coming. What is NASCAR going to decide? Is this going to be low downforce, high horsepower, which is what I'm hoping for. I feel like that puts it more in the driver's hands. Now, if they come back and decide to go with something more low downforce, which is what I sort of expect, especially because um, the manufacturers want a lower horsepower, high downforce car because, it, you know, it, it's similar to what we have on the roads compared to these big, uh, heavy, uh, um, high horsepower engines that you don't have on cars out on the streets. You're hard-pressed to find a car with 750 horsepower out there. Um, and, and I wonder if that's Part of the driving factor is to make these cars more like the manufacturer cars that are on the streets. But as a race fan, I think you get the best racing and the best talent out of drivers when you have low downforce, high horsepower. If it is the other way around and we've got what we have at the mile and a half, I'm not going to be disappointed. I still think we see great racing with that package. Um, look at the way the racing has been this year. We are 12 races in and we've had 10 different winners American Motorsport uh, in IndyCar, too. They've had a bunch of different winners. Pato Award got his first career win. We're seeing this diversity that you don't see in other forms of racing. So on one hand, the level of competition is fantastic with that package. Would it be as good if we had the harder-to-drive package? Maybe not, because who knows? You might have guys like uh, Martin Truex and Kyle Busch and Harvick up front dominating more. It's a possibility. But if that's the case, it's because they are the best drivers out there, and that's what happens. You see in Formula One, everybody goes after Lewis Hamilton because he is so good and he's got the team of Mercedes behind him. But you shouldn't change the racing and manufacture closer racing just to spite that guy because people don't want him to win too much. 
if they change the rules of the NFL to stop guys from winning because Tom Brady was too good and they changed the rules so he wouldn't win, it's not the same as beating someone heads up. And I think with this package, you have a better opportunity to show your skill, to beat someone heads up, and be more consistent over the year if you really are the kind of team that deserves that. Um, moving on, though, from Martin Truex Jr. and yet another win this season, it's interesting to me. We talk about this road to 16 different winners. Is it possible that this could happen? And I've been one of those guys who has said no over and over again. I just don't see 16 different winners in this field through just 26 races. And really, 17 is that magic number where somebody wins a race and doesn't make the playoffs, which has never happened. Well, right now, I'm looking at the point standings. We still have... Just about at, right at half of the regular season. This weekend at Dover will mark the halfway point, 13 of 26, in the regular season. And we've already got 10 winners, so it, it sounds like 16 is a possibility. But when you look at the list of guys who haven't won, and, and there are some surprising names on this list, I still don't see 16 happening. First and foremost, the three guys who won the most last year, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick and Chase Elliott, while they are in great position points-wise with the playoffs, they haven't won. Chase Elliott got five wins last year defending champion. Kevin Harvick was astronomically higher. Denny Hamlin and him, they won about half of the whole season, those two cars combined, and they're still running decent with Harvick a little less consistent than he was last year, but still running good. He finished sixth last weekend. In fact, these guys, Hamlin, Harvick, Elliott, were fifth, sixth, and seventh, respectively, in the running order last weekend. So all three of them, top tens and another top five for Denny Hamlin. But they have not won, which to me is the biggest surprise of this season. I would have thought these guys would win right off the bat. So I fully expect that Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, and Kevin Harvick will get a win before the playoffs. I really think those guys will get to victory lane because even though they haven't won, they are consistently in the hunt. Whether it be mistakes that are taking them out, Denny Hamlin's had a few speeding penalties. I don't know what it is with Denny Hamlin on pit road getting these speeding penalties. It is such a consistent issue for them. Even though they're the points leader, it's still such an issue that has cost them the opportunity to compete for wins. Chase Elliott and company, honestly, the issue for Hendrick Motorsports is the fact that they keep failing inspection and having to start at the rear for certain issues. This week, it wasn't an inspection failure, but they had to make unapproved adjustments on the nine car. And again, he lost the opportunity to start up front and had to spend that time making it up. And that is really hurting these Hendrick guys. So for that organization, I think they got to work on mistakes and getting it so they can actually start where they're supposed to start on the grid because they're putting themselves behind the eight ball. And then that makes it so much tougher to get up there. And at a time when track position is just so important, you're really costing yourself the opportunity to run well later on in the race. So those are the issues I think that have plagued those three teams. But I fully expect they will win. I'm, I'm saying that again because you can't keep good teams down too long, even with mistakes. But let's put those three guys into perspective and get them to victory lane. That puts us at 13 winners. And that's going to tank another three races, obviously. At the very least, if they go out the next few weeks, we'd have nine races with those guys winning for the other guys to win. Martin Trix Jr.'s got three wins. William Byron's having a great season constantly up front. Kyle Larson, the same. Brad Keselowski, all the Penske guys have won. They're probably going to win some more races. Christopher Bell, Kyle Busch, you know, all those um, Gibbs guys, three of the four of them have won. 
Truex is probably going to keep on winning. Then I look at names further down the list that are winless, like Austin Dillon, Chris Buescher, Tyler Reddick, Matt Benedetto, Stenhouse, Newman, and Bush, which are the remaining points positions 14th to 20th right now on the grid. Could they win? Yes, they could. In fact, some of those teams, obviously, by being there, are having more consistent runs than we've seen out of the past for those organizations. Specifically for me, Dylan Busher and um, Reddick running higher up in points than they had been in the past. And I think Reddick is knocking on the door of that first career win. The question is, are we going to have three of those guys win before we get to the Southern 500? I just don't see that happening. There are too many guys who are going to win multiple races throughout this year that are going to stop that from happening. I really think if you win a race, you will be in the playoffs. We're probably going to end up the same thing we always have with three or, you know, two or three positions remaining afterward for people to go ahead and try and battle it out for points. And points obviously will become a very important factor when we get there. Um, Case in point, you look at our standings right now, our drivers that are locked in. We talked about Truex. He's got three wins. William Byron, I'm very impressed by. He's got that win. But so far this season, he finished fourth at Darlington. It was his fourth top five and 10th top 10 in 12 races. Only twice they've been outside the top 10. Bringing Rudy Fugel on has made a whale of a difference for this team. Last year, which uh, was a very good season for them, all things considered. Four top fives, 14 top tens in 36 races. They are looking to top that number before we even get to the end of the Fox portion of the season, before we even get close to the halfway point. So Byron's second on the playoff grid right now, 428 points. That's third in the overall point standings too. William Byron hitting on all cylinders. They are really impressing me this year. The team of the year as far as turning it around from their previous performance is William Byron. Joey Logano, he sits third in the points. We've got Ryan Blaney out in fourth. Uh, Larson, Keselowski, Kyle Busch, Christopher Bell, Alex Bowman, and Michael McDowell make up the 10 that are locked in with a win. Now, Denny Hamlin still leads the points by a comfortable margin over Martin Truex Jr., so keep in mind those bonus points for being the regular season champion on the line. Denny Hamlin leads the points with 529. Kevin Harvick and Chase Elliott more than 100 points above the cut line regardless of their win status. Here is the bubble zone, and we're getting to the point in the season when it's going to be a good idea to keep an eye on these guys because... Really, you're starting to see the contenders here for the playoffs. Who's going to be in this battle? Where are guys going to win and shake this up? That's a big question right now. Austin Dillon, he is 48 points above the cut line in 14th. Chris Busher up by 19 and 15th. And Reddick on the bubble is tied, but currently holds the tiebreaker. So he is in the playoffs. Matt Benedetto is tied with him sitting on the outside. Matty D has had a heck of a turnaround, did not get the result they were hoping for this past weekend, but the last few weeks have been night and day difference for them. They've climbed from back around 24th in the point standings. So uh, good job for Matty D and the Wood Brothers. Stenhouse, 19 points out in 18th. Ryan Newman out by 22. Roush has had a consistent year with him and Chris uh, Busher currently sitting up in the playoff standings. Good runs for them. And Kurt Busch, they're looking to turn things around. He admits we are not where we need to be right now. He said that in an interview this past week, but he sits right now 28 points below the cut line in 20th. Still very much in contention for a playoff berth as we make our way towards September with uh, a half of the regular season plus a race still remaining. 
Well, coming up in a minute, it was a triple header of action at Darlington, and the craziness was reserved for the lower divisions. We'll talk about the wins uh, for Justin Algeyer and the wild wreck in the truck race. Plus, dash for cash drama. Noah Gragson disqualified, and he's appealing the penalty. We'll see what effect that could have on the racing this weekend and more coming up on Flag to Flag. It's Fox Sports 640. Big win over the weekend for Justin Algeyer. He picked up the checkered flag at Darlington in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and there's plenty to talk about from both of NASCAR's lower divisions. It's Flag to Flag on Fox Sports 640, talking all the NASCAR action. I'm Jeremy Kaufman, hanging with you. Thank you so much for joining us for the show, or if you're listening on the podcast, you can always get that online, foxsports640.com. Listen on your own time without commercials. Uh, Justin Algeyer, he is the guy who got the win over there at Darlington. It's his second win of the year already, and Algeyer is having himself a pretty good year. In addition to the entire team over there, Junior Motorsports, um, which the rumors are starting to swirl, and there has been some comments from Junior's uh, camp about possibly making a cup effort after 17 years Everybody that wants to be a cup team is looking at this next-gen car next year. We know Cowlick's looking to go full-time. Curious to see how this affects the charter system because there are a lot of guys that want to move up full-time, but with our current charter system, it, it makes it tough for a new organization to try and come in and be a competitive team without a charter. And there's only so many of them, and we have a bunch of teams that are not dropping charters. You know, you got four for Gibbs, four for Hendrick, a couple for Roush, and Three for Penske, the list just keeps going and going. And before you know it, there's only about four or five charters that can be tossed around between teams. So that's going to be an interesting thing to see how that affects the future of junior motorsports and whether or not they make the move to go cup racing. But right now, they're hitting on all cylinders in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Justin Algeyer, he got the win, his second of the year. Josh Berry finished in second, who has been very impressive. We know he got the win at Martinsville, and it looked as though... It was going to be a slam dunk with Noah Gragson doing something that had never been done before. We talk about this Dash for Cash program, and it's something great they do in Xfinity. The Triple Truck Challenge is going on for the Truck Series, too. A great way to help out these teams to earn a little extra money. And what that basically is, if you don't know the Dash for Cash, it is a bonus program that is part of four races a year. We are entering race number four this weekend. During those races, you cannot run if you are a cup driver. It is for series regulars only. And Justin Algeyer will be competing, or uh, pardon me, uh, Noah Gregson was competing to try and win it for the third week in a row. Now, if you are the highest finisher of the eligible Dash for Cash drivers in that race, which basically... From the week before we start the Dash for Cash, the highest finishing four series regulars that are accepting Xfinity points will have the opportunity to race for a $100,000 bonus amongst themselves. And the following week, it rolls over with the winner of the Dash for Cash moving on to the next round and the highest finishing three regulars from that week. $100,000 bonus, $400,000 for all four. And if you can win all four, you can get yourself a million dollars. Well, that's never happened. Nobody has ever gone out and won all four of the Dash for Cash bonuses. Noah Gragson was going to win his third and have a shot at the fourth. And I, I was so excited for him because this, this reminds me of, uh, you know, Bill Elliott and uh, Jeff Gordon winning the million, uh, the old Winston million that they had. You know, it's so cool to see somebody go for that kind of money, especially in the level of Xfinity where you don't make that kind of money on a regular basis. Well, I don't know that that's going to be happening. 
Noah Gragson disqualified. He failed post-race inspection after he would have gotten the dash for cash in commanding fashion. I mean, he was the only car in the top 10 eligible for it. Uh, The reason NASCAR states, quote, all suspension mounts and mounting hardware must not allow movement or realignment of any suspension and or drivetrain component beyond normal rotation or suspension and or drivetrain travel. They stated he did not comply with that rule in post-race inspection, and as a result, he finishes in last position and loses out on that bonus. A.J. Allmendinger is currently the winner of the Dash for Cash. Now, Of course, it always works this way. Whenever I do this show, it works this way on timing. It is 11.50 a.m., and I'm in the studio recording this right now. And today, Noah Gragson's appeal is going to be heard, um, which uh, Junior Motorsports has made the decision to try and appeal this disqualification. And if they were to win this, they would get their original finishing position back and the dash for cash and have a shot to go for a million dollars this weekend. Now... I will say this much. The list of people who have won a NASCAR appeal, very small. It does not happen often. You'll have two chances to appeal. You get a three-person group, and then if you um, do not uh, like their judgment, you can appeal again to one person as the final appellate judge when it comes to NASCAR's rules. Noah Gragson, I I get why they're appealing this because there's a lot of money on the line. If they win, that would be great. Um, And I want to give you both scenarios just because I'm not going to be able to see the results before this show is recorded and done. But if things stay the way they are, A.J. Allmendinger, he picks up $100,000 last weekend as the Dash for Cash bonus. And A.J., Justin Allgaier, Josh Berry, and Brandon Jones are going to be the four drivers competing for $100,000 this weekend at Dover. Now, if the appeal is won by Noah Gragson, A.J. Allmendinger not only loses the $100,000 bonus, but he will not be in the dash for cash as well. Noah Gragson would take his spot. I don't expect him to win. I'm sure he would love for me to be wrong on that. It's always possible that I could be. I It, it does happen from time to time, but it is rare that NASCAR overturns an appeal. So if it does not overturn that appeal, then they are going to be in a situation where they're going to lose out. Really unfortunate because... Already, it was a $300,000 bonus. He probably had a decent shot. I mean, Noah runs well week in, week out. Decent shot of getting that bonus again and being the first driver to win the million. So I know there's a lot of disappointment for Noah Gragson and team there. Um, uh, For their sake, I know they're hoping for some good news from the appellate uh, judges today. I would be definitely surprised though, if if Noah was able to compete for that million dollars next weekend. As it stands, he's still got himself 200 grand, which is a nice chunk of change, and he's not going to be eligible this weekend because of his technical 40th place finish. He will not be able to get that extra money uh, coming up this weekend. We got a a truck bonus program going on, too. I, I love these bonus programs, and the guy who picked up the money was... Sheldon Creed this weekend, $50,000 in the Triple Truck Challenge. We have three races in it. We're going to go to Circuit of the Americas and then Charlotte. And if you can win all three of those races, that's a big bonus for them too. A half a million dollars up for grabs. Nobody's done that either, although we're just in the beginning stages of this uh, event. It's very new. Sheldon Creed, he's got the opportunity. He got the win, and he's somebody who can competitively win most weeks. 
So he's going to have a shot with the unknown of going circuit to the Americas. Who knows who's going to be able to win that race? A little different than the program in the Xfinity series. Everybody's eligible, and it's whoever wins that is a series regular. If they win the race, they get the bonus. So Sheldon Creed needs to win two more weeks in a row for the truck series if he's going to get that money. Uh, I'll tell you, that race was wild. 33 of 40 cars suffered damage in Friday night's truck race. And no, we were not racing at Talladega. This was Darlington. 12 caution flags in 200 miles, 147 laps. The cup race basically ran uh, a little bit less than that, but it was 110 or so caution-free to the end of the race. Just goes to show you the differences between the two divisions. It was a wild race. Uh, I got to shout out Corey Heim, though. If you don't know that name, he unfortunately was on the front row and was the truck that got turned into John Hunter Nemechek when it set off that massive, nearly 20 truck pileup uh, on the restart there. But Corey deserves a shout out. And here's why. First and foremost, he's driving for Kyle Busch Motorsports. So right away, there's pressure there. And you should run good. You have the best equipment you can have. He's driving the 51 that Kyle wins in repeatedly. Now, Corey Heim is making his first truck series start. This is the first time he's been behind the wheel. Ty Dillon's already set the pressure with Gibbs run equipment. He goes out there and grabs himself a win in uh, his first start in the Xfinity series. So Corey Heim, who has been running very well in the ARCA series, he's a three-time winner. He's got two wins so far this year. Daytona and Talladega both went to him. And he had a shot before that crash. Didn't get the result he was looking for. But I really think you got to shout out Corey Heim because he did a fantastic job uh, with his performance this past weekend. He's going to get another opportunity in the truck at Circuit of the Americas. It's going to be a very challenging race for him. A road course race that nobody has really seen Circuit of the Americas with the exception of some light testing. So it'll be interesting to see how he can perform on that racetrack coming up, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend. You know, we had some truck series drama going on, too, and it involved the race winner, Sheldon Creed. Uh, if you are on NASCAR Twitter, it is a never-ending source of entertainment with fights and jokes and some lighthearted moments. There's always something going on on NASCAR Twitter. We uh, had a topic on the KVJ show. What feels like a cult but isn't actually a cult? NASCAR Twitter. Right there. That feels like a cult. <laughs> well, here's what happened. Uh, Marcus Limonis, he is the CEO of Camping World, and he has been throwing out plenty of money to these teams trying to help them out. But Sheldon Creed went ahead and won in an unsponsored truck after all of this uh, debate online, or I should say commentary from Marcus Limonis saying, hey, does anybody need a sponsor for Darlington? So somebody commented and said, hey, how come you weren't sponsoring Sheldon Creed? And Marcus came back with a... Um, an answer basically saying, I, I tried. And Sheldon clapped back to a sponsorship offer, which is what surprised many people. He responded, we're worth a heck of a lot more than $15,000, to which Marcus said, this is unprofessional. You know, we're offering you money here, basically, and you're calling us out for it. Here's my take on this. I think it's great what Marcus is doing. I also understand Sheldon Creed's point of view, because if 15000 is not enough money for them, then if they offer Camping World the opportunity to sponsor them for just $15,000, well, then what stops another sponsor from turning around and saying, well, we want it for $15,000?
Now, I don't fault Marcus Lemonis for offering what I guess in the racing world may be considered a bare-bones offer. He's getting great advertising for his company. He's helping teams that don't have a sponsor whatsoever. They have no money coming in, and that was the argument. Well, what's better, 15000 or nothing? But if you are trying to run at a competitive level, you are a top-tier organization, you need to try and get sponsors to pay what they need to pay, what you're worth. And if you can't reach a deal then you can't reach a deal. No need to call anybody out on social media for it, although I was enjoying the thread. I feel like the Michael Jackson meme. I had my popcorn ready to go watching this thing unfold. Uh, I could tell Marcus wasn't very happy with it, and some people pointed out, too, that he offers a bonus of $100,000 if you win. But then you have the argument, well, $100,000 is what they ask for anyway, so now you only get full money if you win the race. That was the debate that was going on. I think what Marcus has done has been some great stuff for the sport. And uh, coming up in a little bit, we'll talk about uh, his involvement in North Wilkesboro Speedway. Um, he, he's stepped up in a big way to try and help bring back one of NASCAR's classic speedways. But the, the fact of the matter is, I don't fault an organization for saying, look, this isn't enough money. If you have a product, is it better for you to just sell it at a lower value price to someone because you can't sell it? Sometimes it might be, but then what's going to stop the next person from coming in and saying, well, hey, I want it for the same price he got it. So that is the perspective, I think, that you're seeing from GMS and Sheldon Creed. Marcus Lemonis, I don't fault him at all for what may be a bare bones or low ball offer because he's a businessman. These guys have nothing. He's buying it for the price that he thinks is reasonable if they want to take it. More power to them. They got sponsorship on their truck and they got some more money. Some of these lower funded teams, they'll take it. They'll be grateful for it. And that's excellent. But if it's not enough money for Sheldon Creed, then it's not enough money. I don't see all the reasons that people are freaking out about this. Honestly, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal to me. If Sheldon would rather uh, hold out for a better offer and GMS feels that way, what the heck, right? They don't have to take the offer. Um, I don't really think there was anything too over the top. His comment was basically like, we're worth more than $15,000 back to uh, Marcus Lemonis. I'm sure he didn't enjoy that publicly. There were two people from either sides that would, uh, either you were annoyed at Marcus Lemonis because he's lowballing these teams and trying to get um, uh, sponsorship for such a lower price, or you'd say, well, at least he's offering, I guess you guys can just sit out there with no money, and this is why you have no sponsor anyway. Either way, it's entertaining for me to watch on Twitter, so that's what I enjoyed about that. But, you know, we can always get your thoughts here. I'm always curious what you think between uh, the racing at Darlington and if you were on Twitter and you saw the Marcus Lemonis fight, uh, let me know whose side you were on, who's in the right, who's in the wrong, or do you agree with me? And it's just uh, uh, everybody's really got a, a point of view and it's not that big of a deal. At SuitsKVJ on Twitter, S-U-I-T-S-K-V-J on Twitter. Let me know what you're thinking. Coming up in a couple of minutes, talking about North Wilkesboro Speedway. Well, another racetrack is looking to make a comeback. One of the most historic racetracks in the country. And man, you want to talk about some entertainment? You should have seen the meeting about the Nashville Fairgrounds with the Fair Board and the public input they were getting. It's pretty good, and I'll break it down for you coming up next. More Flag to Flag up in a minute on Fox Sports 640. Could you imagine in a couple of years if the NASCAR schedule included both the Nashville Fairgrounds and North Wilkesboro? Talk about a blast from the past, am I right? It is Jeremy Kaufman on Fox Sports 640, and this is Flag to Flag. Uh, you can also catch us on the KVJ Show. Suits over there on 97.9 WRMF. And, yeah, I definitely want to catch you guys up on everything that's going down with the Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway. This is a racetrack that the community seems to have it out for. It, it, it's very odd 
how many people are, are against the fairgrounds locally there. And it, it's in a great position. It's the fourth largest TV market for NASCAR right off the bat. So you definitely want to race there. We're going back to Nashville in a couple of weeks with the Super Speedway, but the fairgrounds is in such a great location, and it is a historic short track, and you know people love short tracks. Just had a race there this past weekend with ARCA, and it was a very good show. The ARCA East Series was there. But uh, what happened here before the agreement can be signed off with Speedway Motorsports, Inc. to come in, renovate the fairgrounds, which the renderings they showed looked amazing, 30,000 seats and a beautiful facility that they're planning on reconstructing there. But this fair board meeting, oh my gosh, I was following the updates live on Twitter from uh, Matt Weaver, and wow, it was something else. The amount of disinformation being thrown around, too, from some of these people, but right off the bat, um, at the meeting, they basically started out by asking SMI what your intents are. They say 10 races per year, including the major NASCAR races. Um, They'd also like to do about two or so concerts or other events like that per year. Um, a board member actually said that if you're going to do 10 events, you should take those away from NASCAR. If you're going to have, uh, concerts, then you shouldn't have racing for 10 times. Make the concerts two of those and have eight races. Are we serious? 10 weekends out of the year. That's what you're complaining about. I I couldn't believe the way some of these people were acting. First and foremost, the Speedway was built in 1904. I give credit to this one person who came out and was in support of the Speedway. He said, what did these people think when they moved in next to a racetrack? Then they start, as he said, quote, hooping and hollering about all of this because you don't want noise from the racetrack. Well, that track has been there for over 100 years. Something tells me you haven't been living there for 100 years. So give me a damn break, first and foremost, with that crap. You move next to a racetrack and then you complain that the no- it shouldn't be allowed to be open because of the noise. That's ridiculous. Um... My personal favorite, and this is this is the greatest comment, this, this girl comes up and she's definitely anti-Speedway and basically says this, there are five NASCAR and Formula One tracks in the area, so this doesn't have to happen in the neighborhood. First and foremost, I don't know what Formula One races she's talking about, or NASCAR races, honestly, where are there five NASCAR racetracks in the vicinity of Nashville? There aren't, and Formula One has one race a year. I don't know if she's mixing it up with the Music City Grand Prix, the new uh, street race coming to Nashville, but give me a break. Again, this is so stupid. And the defense of it, um, she basically says it shakes her house and scares her dog. So, I mean, clearly NASCAR's got to take a back seat, right? (laughs) Quote, all this talk of losing the speedway. Well, what about losing our neighborhood? I just don't understand this. How do you move in next to a racetrack and then act like having races there is the worst thing ever? You knew it was there. You bought a house near it. Give me a break. I also like the fact that they're building a major league stadium for soccer and they're getting 30 dates and nobody bats an eye that they can have 30 dates of people coming in. But if you host 10 races per year with only three or so of those probably being major NASCAR races, that's a problem. The amount of people locally just going after the Speedway blows my mind. Now, the good news is if you're a race fan, it sounds like the community isn't going to get as much of a say in this uh, because it's great for the economy. It's great for the uh, um, the government, really, because they can make money off of it. And really, that's what it comes down to. I expect Nashville Fairground Speedway is still going to be on track. It looks like it's going to be a three to one vote in favor is what the early bets kind of are coming out of this meeting but I, I really hope we get Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway back. I think it'll be a great event. I think it's ridiculous. Some people were saying it was going to hurt education. 
because there might be more traffic. Again, I, I don't even get these arguments. They don't make any sense. Just say, I don't like racing. And it's not a good reason to keep a facility shut down that is historic. This racetrack, I mean, just to give you an idea of how long it's been, 1904, this track was built. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway was built five years later. Most historic track we all talk about. And these people are complaining that they want to race there. Obviously, I'm fired up about this because it's a great racetrack and I want to see this renovated place host some cup racing. And it's just ridiculous to see how much the community seems to be against the success of a racetrack there. We'll see what comes of it. But right now, uh, it, it does seem like there are some people at least on the side of it. I saw DW was out there at the fair meeting, um, you know, speaking in favor of the facility. And I, I thought that was really great, too, even though there were definitely some very vocal anti-speedway uh, people out there. So I guess in a city council meeting or whatever it is, you get two minutes uninterrupted to, to give your spiel. And it doesn't matter if you don't know what you're talking about because people were saying stuff that doesn't even make any sense. Like the fact that there are five places to go watch NASCAR and Formula One in the area and that it doesn't need to be in this neighborhood. That's not true. But I guess you can just go ahead and say whatever you want in that situation. Who knew? Here's a community that really wants a racetrack back. North Wilkesboro, and I've always thought North Wilkesboro was a pipe dream. Not that I wouldn't love to see racing back there. It is one of the most historic racetracks that NASCAR's been at. It's a shame it's not in operation still. I would love to bring North Wilkesboro back. But this is the most um, fire behind this that I have ever seen. Because Marcus Lamona, while he was getting into a little bit of a Twitter fight over the Truck Series sponsorship he was doing, he has committed a million dollars to North Wilkesboro Speedway. And I mean, that's a pretty hefty chunk of change. That's enough to uh, uh, definitely uh, perk my eyebrows up there, make me wonder if uh, Speedway Motorsports Inc. is willing to jump on this. But the other thing that's so amazing, the area wants this. You talk about a polar opposite of Nashville, Tennessee. These people want this race desperately. The Chamber of Commerce is spending money on a campaign saying we want Wilkesboro back, we want the Speedway back. And I think it's so great to see. They're putting up billboards. They're handing out flyers. They are actively campaigning to bring back North Wilkesboro Speedway, which is such a historic racetrack. And if there is one racetrack, you constantly hear people saying, we want it back, we want it back, we want it back. It is North Wilkesboro Speedway. Hear what we're saying. Please bring this racetrack back. You know, I, I don't want to get my hopes up because there's been so much about trying to reopen North Wilkesboro. But there are three racetracks that I, I guess I just can't seem to shake that I want back so badly. And it is the fairgrounds, it's North Wilkesboro, and you probably can guess the next one, Rockingham, which again is opened again. <laughs> They've got a race coming up. The Cars Tour is going to be out there um, coming up in a couple of months. they got to test with a new tire compound, too, because they were having some issues. But hopefully, if we could get these three racetracks back, it would be huge for NASCAR, especially the old school fans who feel like it's it's getting disconnected from where it used to be. That would be a great way to bridge that gap. And, and when it comes to North Wilkesboro, the community wants this to happen. They are supporting it. I think that would be a great event. The only thing is North Wilkesboro needs a lot of work. As much as uh, the million dollars is great, we're probably going to need more money than a million dollars bring North Wilkesboro back from beyond the dead. It, it needs a lot of new infrastructure changes. It, it needs to be repaved desperately. So it's, it's a long road ahead. We got a better chance of getting Nashville back before we get uh, Rockingham or North Wilkesboro. Hopefully we can get them all back. That would be the way that I would like it to be. But uh, I don't know. I got to 
kind of keep my expectations low because I don't want to get heartbroken by North Wilkesboro again. When they reopened that in 2010, I thought maybe we would get it back, and it, it just did not come to fruition. Funny enough, I didn't even remember this. Chase Elliott, he won at North Wilkesboro. Uh, 14 years old, when they briefly reopened, he got himself a win. So Chase Elliott, he's got his own history there at uh, North Wilkesboro. I thought that was an interesting note that uh, he's one of the few guys that are still um, in cup racing to have said, yeah, I've won a race at North Wilkesboro Speedway. Not a lot of people can say that. Well, let's turn to what is next. Coming up this weekend, we head to the Monster Mile, Dover, Delaware. Honestly, hasn't been that much of a monster lately. Uh, uh, I don't know what it is. Uh, in the last few years, Dover has been uh, long green flag runs and trying to make sure you got your track position. Will that change this weekend? You never know when that uh, Miles the Monster is going to rear his head and just uh, cause some drama. But with NASCAR's current format where we're not really qualifying, which... Um, really paid off for Martin Truex Jr. because he won the race. And pretty much when you win the race, nine times out of 10, depending on the fastest lap or your points position, you're going to find yourself starting on the pole. And Martin Truex Jr., he's got himself the pole. Danny Hamlin will start second. William Byron in third. Kyle Larson in fourth. Kevin Harvick trying to get that first win of the season. He will be starting in fifth. Kyle Busch, he got the win in the Bushy McBush Race 400, which just is so appropriate. Uh, he will be rolling off in the sixth position. And to wrap up your top 10, it's Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, and Chris Busher. And a quick note on qualifying. Um, we're going to have qualifying coming back here pretty soon, actually. Um, next weekend, Circuit of the Americas, that's a new racetrack. So we'll have qualifying there for uh, all three divisions. And I wasn't sure about Charlotte. I knew the Coca-Cola 600 was going to have qualifying. But according to Bob Pockris, and when Bob speaks, I listen. This man rarely misses. We're going to be having qualifying for the trucks and the uh, Xfinity cars on, on Charlotte weekend as well. So two consecutive races coming up where there's actually going to be qualifying in practice. That will be great to see because there are some teams that have been caught out not being able to run these races because they haven't had a chance to qualify. So uh, Jordan Anderson is the first one that comes to mind. He was going to make the move to the uh, Xfinity series. I don't know if he's going to be on the entry list because they've missed so many races, not being able to qualify. Hopefully they'll get the opportunity to make some races though. And that'll help them in the point standings to get them into races like mid Ohio and uh, Pocono coming up in the next few weeks, because we've got qualifying also at Nashville super speedways. That is a new track. Cup cars will be qualifying at road America. So we're going to have a little bit more going on during the weekends and a little bit less over the summer of this Here's the Wednesday, and we know where uh, the starting lineup's going to be. NASCAR Xfinity Series, they will be on track as well. Daniel Hemrick, he is the man, the picture of consistency, but can he finally win? That's the big question. Daniel will be rolling off from the pole. Justin Allgaier, he won last weekend. He'll be starting second. It's Brandon Jones and Harrison Burton on row two with Josh Berry. Wrapping up that top five, we've got uh, Justin Haley rolling off an eight, Brett Moffitt. In uh, ninth, uh, Jeremy Clements, by the way, going to be starting in seventh. I skipped over him and AJ by accident. AJ's in sixth. Just uh, Jeremy Clements, though, got a top five finish this past weekend. Uh, him and Brandon Brown both did some of my favorite throwbacks, the Dale Jarrett UPS throwback. But what I loved about Brandon Brown's car, they uh, changed the back of it. What can Brown do for you? And they wrote in, what can Brandon Brown do for you? I thought that was a very clever uh, way to play on the sponsor throwback. Great job getting attention for that team. And Jeremy Clements deserves a shout out because of his performance. Top five finish at Darlington. That's a tough place. And if you recall, uh, Jeremy Clements, he knows how to win. He won at Road America a couple of years ago. So do not count these guys out. Top 10 start. They're rolling off in seventh. And to wrap up your top 10, it is Justin Haley, Brett Moffitt, and Michael Lynette. And a reminder, this is the final dash for cash race. I'm refreshing my page, trying to see if... 
yet we have a result um, on the appeal, and I am not seeing it quite yet, so still no result on the appeal. It appears for Noah Gragson, so we'll have to follow up on that later. Uh, More than likely, they're probably going to uphold that penalty, but uh, we will keep an eye out to see what comes of that. Month of May, too, is about to roll off. IndyCar starts with the Grand Prix uh, race on the Indianapolis road course. We've got a couple of races coming up there. That race is going to be going on this weekend on Saturday afternoon. And then we got to start getting ready because the Indianapolis 500 right around the corner, just a couple of weeks out, which, I mean, Indy 500, one of my favorite races. It doesn't get much better than that place. Here's where you can check out all the action, though, coming up this weekend on track. It starts out on Saturday. Uh, gonna have to warm up the DVR. They always run these damn races at the exact same time. I don't know why they keep doing this. The Dry Dean 200 at Dover NASCAR Xfinity Series will be Saturday, 1.30 p.m., and you can catch that on Fox Sports 1. Then at 2.30, NBC has got coverage of the GR, uh, GMR Grand Prix at Indy on the road course. That's IndyCar. And then we've got the Dry Dean 400 at Dover Sunday at 2. We'll catch you back next week. Thanks for joining us for Flag to Flag on Fox Sports 640.